Would you like to be able to walk in divine health 24-7? Would you like to minister healing to others and not be in the healing line yourself? Would you like to receive the blessings from God every day of your life rather than praying to God for a miracle? Would you like to know how to lead someone to the Lord without having to take them to your pastor? In this podcast, you learn how to receive all these promises from God. Hello everyone, I'm Gary Preston. Welcome to another episode of Grace Faith Christian Discipleship Podcast, where God changes lives for the better through the hearing of his word. Today, I'm honored to introduce to all of you, Richard B. Bush. Rick Bush is a man with a global ministry, called by God to teach and lead nations. We are indeed blessed today that Rick has taken time out of his busy schedule to talk with us. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you Rick Bush, who will now reveal to us God's word, how to operate in kingdom law. Mr. Rick Bush. Hi, I'm Rick Bush. I'm going to talk about something that uh, really is kind of exciting for me, so um, I'm going to try to get right into it, but it's really an introduction to the government of God and uh, the principles that uh, are involved with that. See, God has a certain way of doing things. It's called kingdom law. They never change. We've been taught differently, but, you know, I mean, people say, don't put God in a box. No one knows the mind of God. Don't expect God to do the same thing twice. But God is constant. He established these laws for Adam and for our benefit. This introduction to these principles begins with Lord Jesus as our example. Feed 5,000. How did Jesus do that? I mean, and is there a formula that we can learn? Well, the first question is, what do you have? That's what Jesus asked. As usual, a large crowd had been following Jesus. And like always, he was compassionate. He was healing their sick. And you know, Matthew 14 uh, tells us about this. We see that Jesus and his disciples had an impossible challenge. It was late. Uh, they were in the middle of nowhere, and they had very little food with them. And they needed to feed 5,000 men, which was really more like ten to 15,000 people, including women and children. They didn't have enough money, nor the time to go and purchase such a large meal. The disciples had a, a great idea. Send the crowds away. Jesus replied, they don't, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They probably thought, what? But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Jesus said, bring them here to me. And they brought it to him. He gave thanks. He prayed over it and blessed it. Then he passed it out. Simple as that. There were 12 baskets left over from five loaves of bread and two fish. Now you can read about this supernatural multiplication yourself in the Gospels. In fact, this is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels. So the real question is, though, can I do that? Is it a formula that I can learn? Something I can duplicate? And can I teach someone else to do this? Well, let's see. What did Jesus do? He gave thanks. He prayed over it. He blessed it, which means he separated it. At that moment, it changed governments. Jesus... Jesus had separated it by 
blessing it. I mean, it left the authority of the kingdom of men or the domain of men, and he released it or brought it under the jurisdiction of the kingdom of God. He it was assigned, it got dedicated to the government of God and its authority and laws. So, like the disciples, what do you have need of, what that you need more of? One of the principles is you must release something that you have need of and release it into the kingdom of heaven, that kingdom of God we're talking about. You've heard of the kingdom of God, but you know, it means the same thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, and Jesus needed bread and fish now. So he used what he had available of that same substance. And because we live in a bartering system, you in instead can sow a seed of money. And then you can name what you want back in return from the kingdom. It's called the harvest. Yes, you can name your harvest. Jesus needed bread and fish and got lots of bread and fish back. Check out the story in uh, Second Kings. A desperate woman. She was deep in debt. Uh, they, they were going to take her kids uh, as slaves because she couldn't pay her bill. And she cried out to the prophet. Elijah said, how can I help you? What do you have in your house? She said, your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. You can read this amazing story of supernatural multiplication and her financial deliverance for her and her family. It really is amazing. So what do you have that you can sow that's under your jurisdiction? It has to be something that you have need of and something of that particular substance you need. But again, if I need a roof, I'm not going to sow a shingle. I'm going to sow some money so that I can get a new roof. So you have to release your faith uh, into the kingdom. Now, FYI, this is not your tithe. That already has a different purpose. If you want, we can explore that another time. Uh, did I just hear a big gasp? <laughs> Laugh out loud. Don't worry, relax. The tithe is very powerful and totally biblical, but it's probably not most what most of you are thinking or, or you've been taught. In John, the Gospel of John, Jesus said, Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done, and even greater works, because I'm going to the Father. Well, how could Jesus say this? I mean, he was Jesus. He was God. We're not, right? How could he expect us to do what he did and more? I mean, really? Look, one thing that you've got to realize is that Jesus walked on earth as a man, just like you and me. Yep, all the recorded miracles were performed as a man, not as God. Otherwise, that would be cheating. So, maybe it is possible. If he walked as a man, um, last time I checked, I'm a man. So, I think maybe he could say this and believe it, because Jesus understood spiritual law, kingdom law. He had absolute faith in it. He walked in it. He lived it. You know, he was fully persuaded that he could count on it absolutely every time. And, you know, we can too. Jesus knew we could learn it. That's why he said it. And he, he sent the helper, the Holy Spirit and the Word, to reveal kingdom law secrets to his citizens, his, his children. So let's continue to check out how Jesus, the man, did it. So you release this faith into the kingdom of God. 
Jesus took it, the bread and the fish, and he blessed it. He looked to heaven and gave thanks for it. He spoke over it, and that's how he separated it from man's realm. That put the challenge, needing the fish and the, and the bread, under the jurisdiction of the kingdom of God. We're going to release our need into the kingdom of God. Sow it into the work of God, something that God is doing. Sow it into a ministry, and we're going to believe God for a return on it, a promised harvest, just like Jesus did. But you have to speak over it. Speak the word of God. Lay your hands on it. Give thanks for it. Bless it. Separate it from the kingdom of man. Jesus did. Release your faith. Release it when you are in correct faith. Your faith must be based on the word of God, not faith in your actions, not faith in your sowing. Yeah, there's a formula, but the formula is not faith. The formula must be based on your faith in the word of God. If your confidence is based on the fact that you sowed, that you gave, your faith is misplaced. The action has to be based or anchored to the word of God. I believe in my heart what the Bible says. The Bible says, therefore, I'm confident that I receive. The Bible says, thus I am confident that I receive it as soon as I pray. And that's according to Mark 11:24. Very important verse for you to, to read and really take a look at. Look, if you pray for someone to be healed, ask them, why do you believe you'll be healed when I pray for you? If it's based on, or their faith is based on, or anchored to the fact that you're laying hands on them, it's misplaced. It has to be based on what the Word of God says. Jesus knew the Word of God, the Scriptures. So, how do I know if I'm in faith? Well, take one simple quiz. Close your eyes. What do you see? If the Bible says, by his stripes you were healed, what do you see? Do you see yourself healed? You know, pain can speak pretty loud and change our focus. You have to test yourself, find out what's going on. How about finances? Do you see yourself with a $200,000 per year, per year income? <coughs> Making me cough. Do you see yourself with that kind of income or does it kind of just look impossible? And some of you are wondering, $200,000, why would you need a $200,000 per year income? Well, frankly, that's not nearly enough. 300000 400000 Actually, why limit God? It's not really about the money. And you're wondering, well, then, then why? What's it all about then? Well, Second Corinthians tells us that, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Hear that? Always. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Believers and unbelievers will thank God for our gifts and generosity. If we don't have more than enough, how can we always be generous? The, the enemy's got so many Christians afraid that being prosperous, as he promised, is evil. It's just not right. But money's not evil. Pursuit of money is evil. Money's just a tool to further the kingdom. God promises abundant prosperity for his children and it shows the world his goodness, and it spites the enemy, too. You know, that enemy, he's trying to, his best to steal, kill, and destroy from any gullible human. So what do you see? If you can't see it, you can't seize it. You'll have a hard time possessing it. Ask yourself, am I in faith? Close your eyes. What do you see? Faith sees the answer. Yep, it sees the answer you want. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. 
So you've got to see the seed. And a seed, a promise, always carries a picture with it. It incubates in your spirit, and then it produces a picture. If you look at Mark 4.30, you see a mustard seed. The mustard seed, it grows into the greatest bush in the garden. So when you look at that garden, all you can see is that tree. That picture, the picture of, the, of that faith and the promise carried with it. What you see is important. Jesus saw hungry people eating until they were full. So release your faith. But the formula is not faith, just like electric power lines are not the power. The reality is that faith is kind of like electric power lines. I mean, faith brings the power of God's word. It brings his promises into every situation. Correct faith, faith in God's word, is taking God's promises seriously, remembering them, and being willing to trust them with your life. It's placing trust in everything that he's promised to do. Think of it like this. Faith represents your electric power lines. God's word, his power. Is the electric power always ready to flow? Yeah. So you need a switch, though, something that connects that waiting power and turns on the flow of power to the problem, to the need every time. The switch is essential. It's called trust. Its nickname, actually, is fully persuaded. Yep, the essence of faith is taking God seriously. We must be fully persuaded that God, what he's promised to do, he'll do. Faith means that we're certain of those things we do not yet see, but it's having confidence in what we've hoped for, that, that it's really going to happen. Now, the formula also requires knowledge. This formula of how can we duplicate what, what Jesus did? The formula also requ requires knowledge, and a legal authority, a legal jurisdiction. This is very important, whether it's for healing, finance, anything else. When you're challenged by the enemy, and he's going to challenge you, what will you do? Do you have legal jurisdiction over him? Um, how do you know? Can you defend your position spiritually when he challenges your rights? Can you defend your position with the Word of God? You must be able to prove your case with the enemy. Remember, First Peter warns, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He won't give up easily just because you speak some scripture at him. He'll challenge you to see if you know what you're talking about. If you do, he'll roar anyway just to see if he can scare you away. If you really don't know what the word means, what, it, what you're saying, he'll laugh and devour you. He'll chew you up and spit you out because, you know, he's mad. He's mad that his authority has been taken from him. And, yeah, we know he has no authority, but according to Apostle Paul, he's still God of this world, and he wants to kill us. He wants to mock God, and he'll challenge your authority every step of the way until you, you know, if you can repeatedly shut him down like a prosecutor that keeps getting overruled, then he'll go away for a while, but he'll probably come back and check you out again. Can you trust your defense lawyer? You know, that's you. Do you trust the Word of God? This is an important part of why does it work or not work? What's trust? Trust that switch that actually turns that power on so it flows into our realm, into the 
domain of men. Ephesians says, So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're now fellow citizens with the saints, and you're of God's household. According to God's word, you're a family member and a citizen. So there must be a government. We've been talking about the government of God. But there must be a government. It, the word says so. And if there's a government, there's got to be laws or there'll be chaos. So you're a citizen of God's kingdom, of God's gov government. Isaiah tells us, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. His government and peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor. The government of Jesus will rule. Besides the word of God, you've heard me talking about God's government, his laws, legal authority, legal jurisdiction. It's not what most people expect to hear concerning God and his ways. You may have even noticed I've talked like Satan might actually have some kind of legal rights too. And to some of you, this probably sounds really strange, uh, maybe even flat out wrong. Some people are probably even getting offended. But this is the truth that's right there in the Word of God. And God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, right? Sounds right. And he surely doesn't let Satan do whatever he wants to do. Well, the unfortunate truth is Satan still has legal rights that he holds God to. Things just aren't that simple. We, we can't go into all of this now, but God is bound. He's bound to his earthly spiritual laws concerning man, earth, and heaven. The interface with man's kingdom and the kingdom of God has boundaries to it. So, does God's government have order? Of course. Then there must be some kind of laws that we can count on, right? 1 Corinthians says, For God is not a God of disorder, but peace. So citizens of a government must have legal rights too. Do you know your kingdom rights? Do you know kingdom law? Realize that God's promises actually are spiritual law. Not Mosaic law, not the Ten Commandments. God's promises are kingdom law. So does God change? No. According to Scripture, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you think He changes His law? If God's promises are spiritual law, does He change His promises based on circumstances or based on you? No, absolutely not. We can always count on kingdom law. God is always for us. The laws are for our benefit. And God always keeps his word. Otherwise, the universe would fall apart. So we need to learn what the Bible, what God says about us, who we really are in the kingdom. In fact, you know, we're a member of the royal family. We have royal rights, special rights that Jesus paid for. We need to know our rights. We need to learn them what the Bible says about our healing, about our finance, about protection, about everything else. If we don't, the enemy just might come and steal, kill, and destroy. If we don't, the enemy just might get away with murder. Now, some more symptoms of being in faith involve fear not. Besides seeing the answer, seeing the picture, and knowing I have got a legal right, a, a, a righteous jurisdiction, how else do I know if I'm being in faith? Well, check out the parable of the sower. Be the second person example. The first person example says, some people are like the seed on the path, and Satan immediately comes and he steals the word. 
The second person example says, some people receive the word with joy. So what is the symptom of being in faith? There's peace there. Jesus said repeatedly, let not your heart be troubled. That little nagging voice of fear is not talking anymore. You know that you received your healing and now there's peace. You know that you know that you know. There's that expectancy. I, I'm expectant, I'm happy, I'm joyful. If fear is there, I'm not in faith yet. If you still got fear, then go back to the word and let it argue its case. Take the time like an attorney. Let the word argue its case, convincing your heart. And stay there long enough. And then when you're comfortable and you feel you're ready, pray the prayer of faith and stand on it. So release your faith. There's another huge piece of the formula we're calling it. Easy to neglect, but don't. This is something that really will help you. Now, once you pray the prayer of faith, you've got to record that you prayed it. Write that moment down. Write down the scripture or scriptures you're standing on. Write down the date, the time, and exactly what you asked for. And then when it happens in the earth realm, you can check it off as manifested. Uh, that was fulfilled. It came to pass. There's almost always a gap between amen and there it is. Others can also t see how it works. They can see, you know, you wrote this down and then it came to pass over and over again. They see the testimony. But what's the biggest reason to write it down? So when fear tries to yell at you and says, you didn't receive that, you can say, yes, I did. According to Mark eleven twenty four. therefore, when I pray, I believe that I receive. And I received that on November 13th at 7 p.m. See there? It's written right here. Yep, already I received that. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving present your request to God and we're thanking God because we're receiving it right then right there and then we receive it when we pray and that's a key factor of faith not when it shows up when we pray so when we pray thank you father I thank you that I have whatever it is that I prayed for and I thank you that it's mine I receive it by faith this day at this time, and the issue is settled. My mind isn't going to wonder. I'm not. I'm going to just cast down fear. According to your word, I have that now in the name of Jesus. I stand on that. And then you stand there. The enemy keeps coming back. You stand there. You said, here it is. Nope, I don't want to hear from you. Get out of here. Another really important factor to this is that you need to be specific. There's that much authority in the kingdom. Now, Jesus killed a fig tree just with his words only. I don't know if you remember the story. He spoke to that tree. Now, he didn't curse it like Peter said the next day. Jesus simply told the tree what he expected. He was very specific. He said, no man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. There's that much authority in your words. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Through prayer, that is the vehicle. So you, you, you're not anxious, but by prayer, okay? Well, prayer is the vehicle, but what's the vehicle carrying? The petition. What's the petition? The details. It's very specific. You 
can't see it without a clear picture. Details. So release your faith and put into action spiritual law. Jesus was very specific. Now stay with your, you know, within your developed faith. You have to be fully persuaded. So stay within your developed faith. And well, what if I don't have enough faith? What if I'm not fully persuaded? Well, you know what? There's good news. The word can do a whole lot more than just be a seed that's planted, watered, germinated, oh, and then produces a, a harvest of, of fruit. Uh, it produces what the promise was. The word itself grows faith. It says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's Romans ten seventeen. So that's what growing faith looks like. Go back to the word, let it argue its case. Take the time like an attorney would. Let the word argue its case again, convincing your heart. Stay there long enough. Keep letting it argue. And then when you're comfortable and feel you're ready, pray the prayer of faith and stand on it. So what's the prayer of faith? Believing that God can accomplish all that he has promised and that he will. Believing that we receive it when we pray, not when it shows up. That's a key factor of faith. That's the prayer of faith. And all the while, as you were hearing and speaking the word of God, as you were letting the word argue its case, the word being spoken by the Spirit was also increasing your faith to, so you can harvest abundantly. But you also, you know, in all of this, don't forget the power of partnership. You know, when you join together in faith with someone else, a spouse, a family member, or a brother in Christ, what happens is our faith joins. As you're sowing into your favorite ministry or a ministry in need that's spreading the gospel and helping those in need out, call or write them. Ask them to come into agreement with you. Ask them to partner with you. What happens is your faith joins together. And Jesus himself said, truly, you know, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he went on to say, you know, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it'll be done for them by the Father. For where there's two or three gathered in my name, there I am with them. Jesus himself pledges that when you partner with another believer, there he is with us. And that's amazing. You may not have the complete faith for something, but when you join in partnership together with someone else, you're in unity. Partnerships create unity. And their faith becomes your faith, and your faith becomes their faith. It's powerful because we are one. That's how partnerships work. In addition, in this formula, you have to follow the plan. Well, where do I get the plan? Well, the plan, you get that by instructions of the Holy Spirit. And once you release your faith, God brings you a plan, and a plan brings hope. A plan is like the same thing as having it. Once you got the plan, you know you got it. You got a way to do it. If you don't have a plan, uh, the, the, the best thoughts seem kind of like too far out there. But when you got a plan, and you know that, gee, I can do that plan, then the, the reality that you know, not just by faith, but in your heart, you can see, I can do that, then it makes a big difference. And you know, God said, for I know the plans I have for you. Uh, they're plans to prosper, prosper you, not to harm you. It plans to give you hope in a the future. They're not just eternal life plans. These plans are to prosper you.
and all you have to do is hear those plans. But how? I mean, only God knows his plans, right? I mean, how can I possibly comprehend his plans? How? By speaking in tongues. The Spirit downloads the mysteries, the plans, the secrets of God through prayer in the Spirit. Yes, speaking in tongues. So, how can I say, you know, how do I know that's true? What's the Bible say? The Word of God, it reveals it to us in John 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but He'll tell you what He's heard. He'll tell you about the future. You see that? About the future. What hasn't happened yet. What you don't know about. And Romans 8 says, you know, the Holy Spirit comes and he, he, he helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groaning that cannot be expressed in words. This is what the Word said. And the Holy Spirit is helping us receive God's secret plans with groaning. This must be referring to speaking in tongues. The Word gives us more insight in 1 Corinthians 2. Uh, the context Paul is talking about are spiritual secrets. But this would apply to all of God's mysteries that he wants us to know. It seems really clear that the word is talking about speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians says, no, 2 says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So the Bible says God has plans for us that only he knows about. Yes, the, the word just said, no mind has imagined these plans yet. It was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit, verse 10 says. And by his spirit, you know, for his spirit searches out and shows us God's deep secrets. So remember, the, the word is talking about God's plans for you that are secret. And verse 11 says, no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit, right? I mean, that uh, that makes sense. I don't know what you're thinking. You don't know what I'm thinking, uh, especially if I'm just thinking. Well, no one knows what I'm thinking. But anyways, uh, the verse goes on to say, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And then verse 12 says, and we've received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. So, how can we know these wonderful things? God's deep secrets? Verse 13 seems to make it clear. We tell you, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. That's referring to the language of men. In other words, English, Greek, etc., whatever. And it continues saying, Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. This is, seems clearly to be talking about speaking in tongues. The next verse seems to prove it. Verse 14 says, But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Yes, there are things, spiritual things and ideas that are totally spiritual that Paul was talking about that this applies to. But when you hear someone speaking in tongues, 
it kind of sounds foolish, doesn't it? Uh, those of us that speak in tongues, it's not. But it, it you know, someone listening, uh, even the enemy, he still can't make heads or tails of it. It really does sound foolish. He knows something's going on, but mm, he can't do anything about it. So the plan is hidden from the enemy and you, though. So the secret plan gets downloaded into you by speaking in tongues. Most of you know that, yeah, we're speaking and, and the Spirit is flowing to God from, our, from within us, but God is also flowing down through us. It's a two-way thing. So the secret plan is downloaded by speaking in tongues. And then it's revealed by you continuing to pray in the Spirit, uh, speaking in tongues, worshiping. And why does God keep it hidden from you, though, to the last moment? So you don't tip off the enemy because we tend to blab. You know, we want to talk about this great plan that we, we have. And the enemy then can interfere with our plans. What a marvelous tactic that God has. So once you have the plan, you have the timing, you have the method, you have the location, you got the details, go and get started. Don't wait. Get started. Because once you have all of that, Satan has that too. It's all been hidden until that moment. Once it all comes together, it, it, it becomes evident. The method, the location, all of that, you've got all you need. We're just waiting on you to say, let's do it. And that's where Christians seem to miss out. They, at this point, you know, we need more courage than faith. It's not a matter of faith because you got the plan. It's a matter of you jumping in there by faith and doing it. And sometimes Christians are the worst procrastinators. Uh, and the enemy will steal your plans. The enemy will change his tactics. Now, some of this doesn't apply to basic sowing of a seed because we don't always know. Uh, one parable talks about you know, it doesn't matter what the farmer does. He sows the seed, uh, he plants it, and whether he's awake, whether he's sleeping, uh, it's germinating and growing, and he doesn't know why. He doesn't know how. And that is what applies to um, many of the things that we do, even healing. Some people, especially in their finances, they want to do something. They want to have a different kind of income. They want, we talked about income. Okay, God doesn't have any money. So, you know, it's not like I want a $200,000 income and now he's going to send money. Uh, no, that's not income. Income is something I do. He said he blessed all that we set our hand to. That means we got to be doing something. So these things that I'm talking about right now have to do with that kind of um uh, arena of, you know what, uh, I need to make more money and how can I do it? Well, God's going to give you something that you've never thought of before. When you've got all that going, uh, going and it comes together, get started. But, you know, you need to pay attention to fragments. What are fragments? Well, as he reveals his plan to you, God's likely going to show you little pieces that may not make any sense when you first see them and hear them but the little pieces that will make a big difference in the, in the whole plan. Things you've never noticed before. God's going to show you little parts, little pieces that can make a huge difference. You know, like those, those fragments. Uh, what, what are they? Well, fragments can be many things, things no one ever thinks of. Uh, things that people think are worthless, a waste of time. Things you've never thought of, because if you had, 
you'd have already done them. That seemingly worthless fragments. And who looks at fragments? Not your competitors and not the enemy. But God will reveal little golden nuggets that no one else sees. And those fragments can turn into surprising substantial wealth. Um, many businesses have been built on little fragments that no one else was thinking of or thought were worth anything. Now, you also need to, to know, you need to know something else. You need to know the difference between the Red Sea and the River Jordan. I mean, they're both water, right? But in the Red Sea experience, the Holy Spirit opened up a way of deliverance. And then the children of Israel, they went into a period of training after that. It was called the wilderness, and obviously they were slow learners, but in the River of Jordan experience, the Holy Spirit opened up an avenue, guess what, to conflict. you got to understand the difference. The church loves to park at deliverance. They love to celebrate deliverance, but we think there's something wrong if there's conflict. You know, I, I must have missed God. I mean, this is too hard. This ought to be easy, and it's, it is too much like work. The Red Sea experience is deliverance from something to something, from bondage to something. But there's a, And there's a period of training in between that will prepare you for uh, what is destined, that moment where your maturity and your knowledge comes together with opportunity and you step into your destiny. At that moment, the Spirit's job is not to deliver you, but it's actually to kick you into conflict. The River Jordan opened the door for Israel to cross over into conflict and to capture and occupy their destiny. What was their destiny? The Promised Land. Now understand this, because this is vital. Don't misunderstand conflict. Just because there's conflict doesn't mean you've missed God. See, God leads you into battles, not to harm you, but for you to win. The world is looking for answers. If a God-filled, uh, a God-inspired person that has the ability to hear God's answers and has the ability to step into a situation that looks impossible and demonstrates the kingdom of God with solutions, people say, promote that guy. Let's promote that person. He's a leader. Let's follow him. God gets the glory and guess what? You get the paycheck. So the world is looking for answers. In 1 Samuel, we hear about David. You know, he recently had wiped out Goliath. He was fleeing from King Saul. You know, about 400 men followed him and into the cave of Adullam. Now, the Bible describes, you know, or records these men as being distressed, discouraged, discontent, and they followed David. Why? Because they saw a demonstration of the kingdom. I mean, he took out the, the, this giant Philistine. And, you know, he, he didn't even have a spear or a sword. The Bible says he became their leader. He didn't nominate himself. He became their leader because they were looking for answers. And these same men later, they're recorded in First Chronicles, chapter 11, chapter 29. Check it out. These same poor men that were distressed. They're now called David's mighty men of valor. And they collected like $17 billion in, in today's money to build the temple. Where'd they get that from? They got it from all the conflicts that God let them into for their victory. Conflicts that are for your promotion. Don't, don't run away from them. Don't hide from them. The world is looking for answers. 
as I said, if, if God-filled, a, a God-inspired person that has the ability to hear God's answers and has the ability to step into that situation with confidence that looks impossible, and he demonstrates the kingdom of God with solutions, solutions he knows he can count on, and then he demonstrates for others, people will say, that's the guy. I'm going to follow him. He's the one. Let's, you know, let's stick with him and listen to what he says. Let's find out where, how, did, how, how is this happening? What? Your God? Yep, God gets the glory and you get the paycheck. So God leads you into battles, not to harm you, but for you to win. And this will demonstrate his glory and his name. Then, as he promised, the spoils of battle will go into your life, and, and it'll positively affect the kingdom financially as well. Yep, it's to further the kingdom. That's your purpose, not to further you. But he said, if you seek my kingdom, which means more than just not to diminish a reading the Bible and being you know born again, but really seek him. Seek who he is, know how he operates, and duplicate. Do what Jesus said. You're going to be able to do what I did, and even more. The purpose is God's kingdom. But he said, all these other things I'll give to you. He wants us to be prosperous. He wants people to look at us and say, I want what you got. How do you do that? And testifying is easy. So I hope this has helped. I hope I hope there's some kind of hope. I know you, you you can't learn this all at once. I'm still learning it, but yet it's it makes total sense. It like the picture of what's really going on is so much clearer. God is not just up there deciding. Yep, nope. Yep, no. Try a little harder. Nope. Uh, well, you know what? Do you remember what you did? No, wait. Actually, because see, that's not God. That's the enemy. He's actually appearing as an angel of light and trying to make you think that's what God is saying. God isn't doing God's done. He was done on day six. He sat down on day seven. Jesus, he's done too. He's sitting next to the Father. And you, you're done. You can rest. You're hidden in his bosom. But yet he has plans for you to do and carry out. And he wants you to be successful. He wants to give you, the, he wants to delight you. He wants to give you the the uh, uh, the desires of your heart. He loves to do that. So plan on it. Start looking at it that way. Thanks, and I appreciate if you listen. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Richard B. Bush. What an outstanding teacher of the gospel. What an outstanding teacher of the word of God. Wow, Rick. You really had me glued to my device listening to everything that you had to say. What a blessing. I thank everybody for taking time to listen to this teaching and I encourage you to share it to the entire world. Everybody in the body of Christ needs to hear these teachings from Mr. Richard B. Bush. Thank you. I'd like to say a special thank you to my audience. Wherever you may be in the world, God loves you and we love you. If you've got any questions or if you'd just like to encourage us, you can email us at gfcd.sozo, S-O-Z-O, at gmail.com. We've run out of time right now, so remember to subscribe to our podcast so you get a reminder 
of the soon-to-be-released next episode of Grace Faith Christian Discipleship, where God changes lives through the hearing of his word. Amen.